One of the best ways to prepare your finances and your life is to expect the unexpected. And the best way to expect the unexpected is to cover yourself with insurance. In this episode, we're going to talk about how insurance can help you cover yourself. Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting. I'm Harlan, and I'm here with Miranda. How are you doing, Miranda? I am doing okay. How are you? I'm doing well. Today we're talking about insurance. Uh, Insurance is something everybody needs in some form, but not everybody needs every type of insurance. There's quite a lot of details. Uh, The devil's in the details. So let's figure out what kind of insurance we do need and what we might not need and what could be a waste of money for us at any particular time. What kind of insurance do you have, Miranda? Oh, yeah. So I've got insurance. I've got health insurance. I have auto insurance. I have renter's insurance. And I have life insurance. I also have a small disability policy. So yeah, so I have some different types of insurance that are meant to help me handle problems in life and handle expenses that might come up. What about you, Harlan? What are your insurance policies? Well, I'm very similar. I've got auto insurance, which is required if you own a car. I have renter's insurance, which can and cannot be required when you have an apartment, like I do when you rent an apartment. It is required for me, and I do have it. What else? Health insurance, uh, which I pay for outside of a company because I do not have an employer per se. Rather, I have clients, and uh, so I buy my own health insurance and cover everything 100%. I do not have life insurance. I no longer have long-term care insurance. And what else? Disability insurance? No, I do not have that. And uh, that's 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 pretty much the gamut of the main insurances. So you can see that I'm not as fully insured as someone else might be. Yeah, well, and I think part of it too is it, it goes with your needs, right? I, I mean, you may not feel like you need life insurance because you may not have like dependents who rely on your income. I have a child, so to me, life insurance is important to make sure that he's provided for in the event of, you know, my untimely demise. Exactly. And since there's nobody who relies on my income right now other than myself, it doesn't make sense for me to spend the money to buy that, despite the fact that insurance salespeople will tell you that, well, if you wait, then it will cost more later. Uh, So that is the message that we get often when it comes to insurance. And we just have to balance that sales pitch with the reality as of spending money on things that you need to spend on and not what you don't need to spend on. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that people ask all the time is how does insurance work? So what are the basics of like making it work? How, why does insurance work the way it does? And how does it work in your life? Well, the basic premise of insurance is that you are paying a fee over the course of time to help you navigate problems that might come up later in life. For example, you pay auto insurance when you own a car. The reason you pay that is you're paying for a service that when you encounter a problem such as a collision – 
you will have this company use your premiums and of course a pool, uh, you know take money from a pool of all people who pay into the insurance to cover any kind of catastrophic events that might occur, such as a collision or if something happens to your car through an act of nature, for example, if something happens that isn't an accident but it causes damage to your car, you will be covered. Um, You're covered because you've paid for that coverage over the course of time. And now since you've paid for it, the benefit is being paid back to you or back directly to the repair people or perhaps another party who was damaged uh, through a collision. That is the basis of how insurance works. You pay now, it pays you or it pays your expenses later on if certain conditions are met. Yeah, and I think that's really important to remember because a lot of the time we forget that some of these things that happen, and we like to think that nothing will go wrong, but a lot of the time these things happen and they're more expensive than you can handle, right? So last year I broke my wrist. I wasn't planning on breaking my wrist. It sort of happened. So when you look at the bill and the, you know, I had to have surgery, I had to go to the emergency room, I had to have x-rays, I had to have physical therapy. When you look at the bill, you're looking at, you know, thirty to $40,000. A lot of people don't have thirty to $40,000 just lying around. And instead of having to pay that thirty or $40,000 because I had health insurance, I paid $6,000 because that's what my deductible was. I had, you know, high deductible, but I paid $6,000 and then 20%. So I ended up spending about $9,000 out-of-pocket costs for this rather than trying to spend $40,000. This was a very manageable thing for me. I was able to get a payment plan and, and all of this other stuff. So it worked out. Uh, but you know, things like this, like major health problems, or when you wreck your car, or if you accidentally you know, get somebody's property wrecked, or if your house is broken into and your things are stolen, or if a natural disaster you know, destroys your house, insurance pays for these things, you probably wouldn't be able to manage it yourself on your budget. Yeah, exactly. A lot of the time we think that these things won't happen to us. We say we're healthy. You know, why do I need to spend a lot of money every month when I'm healthy? But it's those things that you can't plan for. You know, everybody who encounters medical issues and medical expenses, they don't always encounter that because they're unhealthy. There are certainly accidents that happen, uh, things that happen to you, and diseases that you can get, and other ailments and other problems that you might experience that have nothing to do with your health per se, but still require medical attention. And those things can be burdensome to deal with, and insurance absolutely helps you deal with it so that you can spread the payments out, you can pay less in total, and you aren't totally devastated financially when a disaster occurs. So what are some of the terms? You mentioned deductible. You know, I want to get into the details here and figure out exactly what some things you know, what some of this language dealing with insurance really means. So things like deductible, the premium. Well, let's start with those. Yeah. So your deductible is what you agree to pay out of pocket. You know, depending on your insurance policy and how much coverage you have, your deductible might be higher or lower. 
So for instance, like with my car insurance, I have a $1,000 deductible, which means if my car is in a wreck or if something happens and something has to be paid for, I have to go and pay $1,000 out of my pocket before the insurance kicks in, before the insurance company will pay the rest. So that's a deductible. It's how much you agree to pay out of pocket before the insurance company actually pays anything. Your premium is the amount of money you pay each month to keep your policy in effect. So my auto insurance premium is like $67 a month. Pretty soon I'll be adding my son to that and it will soon be much higher than that because I have a teenage son and he'll be driving. And so your premium is going to be based on, you know, how much risk the insurance company thinks you present. It's going to be how much coverage you have and, you know, what deductible you have. So since I have a higher deductible, I actually have a lower insurance premium each month because I'm willing to pay more out of my pocket, if that makes sense. Yeah. And those are probably the two most common terms uh, dealing with insurance that you might encounter. So what kind of insurance do you absolutely need to have? As you mentioned, if you have a car, you need to have car insurance. Every state requires that you have some form of car insurance. At the very least, you need to have liability coverage to coverage just in case you are in an accident that's your fault and you damage a person or property. So that's definitely required. Health insurance, as of right now, is still required by law. This is a requirement of the law. You're required to have health insurance. So that's something that you should have. And then also, you might be required to have homeowner or renter insurance. If you buy a home, if you have a mortgage, no lender is going to lend you money for your home unless you have homeowner's insurance. And then a lot of landlords now require proof of renter's insurance. It it didn't used to be that way. I remember when I rented um, my first apartment years and years ago. (laughs) I remember when I first rented my first apartment years and years ago. In Utah, they didn't require renter's insurance, and now they do. Um, and you know, renting here in Idaho now, my landlord requires renter's insurance before they'll rent to you. So those are the main types. So some sort of insurance for your home, for your health, and for your auto. Those are the types of insurance that you absolutely need to have. Yeah, and it's interesting for both the auto and the homeowner or renter insurance. Well, for renter insurance specifically and auto, you are protecting other people and and thus it's required to have that type of insurance. For something like health insurance, it's a little different. It's required because society works better when everybody's healthy and it, it would cause a problem if people weren't required to buy health insurance. Then we have the situation where healthy people will avoid it And sick people will, or people who tend to be sick or have other health issues will be the ones who are, uh, they have the burden of the entire cost, which wouldn't work out very well. It would end up being too expensive for anybody. So uh, health insurance is, health, the health of a society is a a greater good and it's a societal need. And thus uh, health insurance, at least now, is required and without it, you'll pay a penalty. Of course, laws may change, but that's the situation right now. And for those who might be wondering why, why does anybody care whether I have health insurance? I'll just, I'll just self-insure and take care of myself. Well, it doesn't work out all that well for the most part. And you know, this trying to put together a system that works for everybody involves health insurance. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. So that's kind of the background on, you know, the law and everything. And it, it is about protecting people and protecting society. Uh, but there are also kinds of insurance that are sort of optional, depending on your specific life circumstances or your needs. We talked about life insurance earlier. Um, if somebody depends on you for income, and you don't have, you know, a million dollars sitting in the bank that you can bequeath them, life insurance is probably a good move. I have disability insurance um, because once again, I worry about, and it's it's specifically aimed at, it's a disability insurance specifically aimed for like self-employed people. I got it years ago because I wanted to be able to, if, you know, things like I broke my wrist, <laughs> um, you know, that was a short-term disability and I could have, I didn't because I found a way to manage otherwise, but I could have drawn on my insurance policy, my disability insurance policy when I broke my wrist to kind of provide me with a portion of my income while my wrist was broken. And so if you can't perform your job and you're worried about that and you're worried about providing for your family and you don't have a big emergency fund, then disability can be useful. So if you have that disability insurance, what did you use to decide whether to file a claim and use that disability insurance while you were disabled for a short time? I ended up not filing the claim mainly because I did have an emergency fund for one. For number two, dictation software made it possible for me to kind of keep up with my work. So I was able to use dictation software. Uh, I decided that instead of going through filing a claim and going through all of the trouble of proving that I was, you know, disabled and that I needed these payments, you know, it was not worth it for me. But it's there. And if anything happens to completely totally disable me, I have peace of mind knowing it's there and that I can get part of my income replaced and make sure that my son still has a roof over his head and food to eat. And so long-term care is also one of these optional insurances, um, insurance plans. And maybe that's because we feel that if we have other options for long-term care, perhaps staying with relatives or having, having adult children take care of us, if we plan for that, perhaps we don't need long-term care insurance. Yeah, that's definitely something. I mean, you mentioned that you had long-term care insurance and now you don't. So what was kind of your impetus for you know, getting rid of that? <laughs> like, why well, did you decide not to use it? The long-term care I had through an employer. And as far as I know, that that type of insurance disappears once you are no longer paying into it. So I'm not sure exactly you know, how that works, but not being a part of that company anymore. It's my understanding that, you know, I don't have any policy at this point. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point. I mean, if you have it through your company, that, that makes a difference. I do know, however, that long-term care insurance has been helpful for people that I know. I know that my great aunt had long-term care insurance and it turned out to be a good thing because she really needed toward the end of her life, she needed to be in an assisted living facility and the long-term care insurance allowed for her to be in a more comfortable situation, have a private room, have things taken care of for her, especially as her memory got worse and she needed that memory care. And so the long-term care insurance really turned out to be very helpful because her and her husband did not have the means over time. You know, they were comfortable and they were content in their lives, but they didn't have the means to like pay for this. And, you know, Medicare won't pay for a long-term care facility. They'll help you pay for a nursing home. But if you want to have a different kind of facility and if you want to have more options, then the long-term care insurance can help. Yeah, better care is more expensive. And that is, you know, just something that we have to deal with, especially as 
we get older or as we see our relatives getting older and you'll start to notice these things. Yeah, and that's and that's something actually we're looking at with my parents. They recently began paying for a long-term care policy. And that's something you do want to think about though because like we mentioned earlier, the longer you wait to buy insurance, the more expensive it is. So if I started paying for long-term care insurance in the next few years, like if I waited till I was in my 40s, I may pay half the premium, the monthly premium that my parents are paying when they started looking into it into their 60s. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about filing a claim or not filing a claim. The process of filing a claim can be stressful sometimes, but it is also necessary in order to take advantage of the insurance that you've been paying for. So I know when my apartment a few years ago got flooded, and it got flooded because I was away for a while, and while I was away, the pipes froze, which uh, should not have happened, and burst, which also should not have happened, and it flooded my apartment um, a little bit and also leaked into the unit that was below my apartment. So I was away. I had to fly home immediately and deal with the situation. And of course, the insurance company was one of the first calls that I made to let them know of the situation, to start a claim, to make sure that I was covered as much as possible. And especially because there was potentially damage to the unit below me, if it had been determined that it was my fault that the pipes burst, which it was not, but if it had been determined to be so, that I would be covered and my insurance would cover any damages to their property. It wasn't straightforward. There are lots of rules in terms of what insurance covers. So the process involved starting the claim, talking to an insurance agent or adjuster over the phone, taking lots of photographs uh, and sending those photographs along, cataloging any damage any damage that I had in addition to, you know, just an inventory of items that I had in the apartment. I mean, having that inventory was helpful in creating this this damage report because I knew what I had and I could easily come up with values or I could work on coming up with values for everything that had been damaged. So this was a renter's insurance claim and it was a long process. Thankfully, it did not take long to receive a check for the damaged uh, items, which uh, which I then went out and uh, replaced for the most part and some I didn't replace. But either way, the insurance company was there to, to make that payment. And then they also helped me deal with uh, the potential of there being damage to the unit below, which I was not responsible for. But but had I been, then the insurance company was there as well. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a good point. I mean, it can be difficult to prove your claim. And sometimes, you know, you do feel like the insurance companies are just there to like try and find reasons to deny your claim. But yeah, in the end, you know, they can be very helpful. And you do have to be careful to do what they direct. So, you know, not too long ago, a car hit me. So I was in a car accident was not my fault. But, you know, my insurance company worked with the other person's insurance company, you know, to make sure everything was taken care of. And at the same time, you know, they had a specific body shop that I had to take, like the other insurance company had a specific body shop that I had to take the car to. 
And so, you know, paying attention to those things can help a lot because one of the problems that you run into is, you know, you can take it somewhere else. And they said, well, you can go through, if you take it somewhere else and you submit the bill, we'll reimburse you. But then you had to put the money up front. If you go where they tell you to go with the body shop for the car, then the body shop just bills the insurance and you don't have to worry about it. So it is important when you're going to file a claim or, or you're working on getting, you know, your stuff taken care of that you talk to the insurance company and you really understand what you need to do and how to move forward. Yeah. And the bottom line is that these are companies who, especially if they are public companies, still answer to shareholders. So shareholders are interested in making the most money possible. Insurance companies make the most money possible by collecting premiums and then paying out as little as they can get away with in claims. So that is something to just keep in mind when you're dealing with insurance companies. Now, some insurance companies are considered mutual companies, which means that the policyholders are actually the owners of the company. Now, that helps align the goals of both the company itself and the policyholders, because the policyholders are the company. That's not always the case in public insurance companies, which means that they are traded on Wall Street and they answer to shareholders and analysts on Wall Street and everybody who's interested in showing that the company is profitable. That's even different than private insurance companies, which aren't sold, you know, you can't get shares normally on the open market, are just owned by probably a smaller group of people who, again, you know, whose goals for the most part are to be, to have a profitable company. Now, of course, profit is something that every company deserves, even if they're an insurance company, but it means that insurance companies have to find a balance between satisfying their shareholders and providing a great service to their policyholders. They have to find that balance. It's just a lot easier when a company, when an insurance company is a mutual company, because then then everybody, you know, the owners are the policyholders. And so they benefit regardless. You might find that mutual companies have better payouts and are better, you know, supporters of their policyholders than, than a public insurance company. Yeah. And that's, and that's something to keep in mind as well. And realize that it can be difficult to deal with the system, but in the end, you know, a lot of insurance, most insurance companies will pay out the claims that they're supposed to pay out. Yeah. And some companies just make it hard. So you have to often fight to get what you, uh, what you believe you deserve. And sometimes it's pretty clear that what you deserve from the company uh, has been, you know, it's, it's written, it's in writing, you know what you should get. Sometimes you have to fight for it and you shouldn't back down. And sometimes you can even push the company a little bit because there are gray areas. Sometimes there are gray areas and, your opinion on, you know, the interpretation of something, either of an event or of one of their policies, you might be able to fight for that and change the insurance adjuster's mind. So that's important to remember, too. You don't have to accept the first answer. Keep going back, keep pushing and see and see what you can do to get the insurance company to be a little bit more on your side. Yeah. And that's a really good point too, is that you can keep pushing. And I like how you mentioned, sometimes it's in writing. And a lot of the time we don't look at our policies. They are boring and they are long and they 
contain weird language, but you do need to look through the policy and make sure you are clear on what is covered and what is not so that you know and understand your rights. And if you have any questions, you know, you can take them to the ins- your insurance agent or even take them, you know, to an outside lawyer or somebody else you trust who can explain these financial terms to you. Okay, so we have talked about specific types of insurance, some that are necessary and some that are sometimes necessary. There are lots of insurance types out there um, that are completely unnecessary. So one of the things that's probably unnecessary, at least if you have to pay extra for it, is credit card insurance. Uh, Of course, credit cards offer different types of insurance to their membership. Many of these insurances are kind of difficult to take advantage of if you need to file a claim. But credit card insurance is totally unnecessary. What is credit card insurance? I mean, I don't think I've ever even encountered it in the wild. Have you, Miranda? Oh gosh, yes, all the time. So, so like you'll you'll get like a letter from your credit card company telling you that you know for like eighty eight cents for every hundred dollars of your balance, you can have your credit card company make your minimum payments for you. If you run into a problem, like a health problem where you can't work or if you lose your job or something like that. So it doesn't pay off your balance, but they'll make your payments for you until, you know, your minimum payments for you until you can like make them for yourself. If you don't carry a balance, then, you know, whatever. I mean, you're not paying anything, right? You, you still have the, the insurance, but it's based on how much of a, how your balance is. And it's usually every $100 of your balance. But at the same time, if you don't carry a balance, then you don't need the insurance anyway. So it's kind of a crapshoot. But this type of insurance, a lot of the time, doesn't provide everything you need. And if you have other types of insurance, if you have disability insurance or something like that, then you can usually make your minimum payments. And a lot of these companies have hardship plans anyway, where you can set up a different payment plan that's a little more manageable without you having to pay for the insurance. Yeah, so it seems like that's unnecessary. How about mortgage life insurance? Uh, I've never had a mortgage, so how do you com- – <laughs> again, something I haven't encountered personally, how do you combine mortgage and life to one insurance? What does that mean? Yeah, so basically mortgage life insurance is a different type of life insurance, and it's just if you die before the mortgage is paid off, then the mortgage will be paid off for you. But if you have a regular life insurance policy that's large enough, you don't need mortgage life insurance because the life insurance policy will cover the amount of the mortgage. So it's really important to like, you know, look at the types of coverage you need and your assets and what can cover them with as few policies as possible rather than like trying to get a bunch of these other little ones that you don't really need. Yeah. And another one is disease insurance. I mean, again, this is something I've never even heard of. So, uh, you know, Miranda, you've got more experience with uh, insurance types than I have. It's something I've never bothered to study too much beyond what was necessary. So I don't even know what what this is. What is disease insurance? How is that different than health insurance? Yeah. So they have extra policies you can buy to insure you against like cancer, like if you get cancer down the road. Or if you get some other sort of chronic disease down the road, they have insurance that'll help cover you. And I do know people who have gone ahead and gotten the cancer insurance because they have a huge history of it in their family and they're very worried about getting it. But at the same time, if your insurance company doesn't have a lifetime limit, and it shouldn't right now because of the ACA, then your medical costs are covered no matter what disease you have. So you need to kind of balance that because um, if you do think that we are going to not have the ACA anymore and insurance companies will put a lifetime payout cap on your stuff again, then maybe this might be necessary 
if you think that cancer is in your future or something like that. But for the most part, disease insurance, specific disease insurance, usually is unnecessary. And uh, accidental death and dismemberment. I mean, that seems kind of <laughs> gory. What's what's that about? Right. Uh, yeah, it's just another one of those policies that you can get to get a payout if, you know, you're dead. <laughs> and that's what life insurance is for. Right. So, you know, I, I encounter travel insurance whenever I'm booking a flight. I encounter some kind of mm-hmm. event insurance whenever I'm buying a ticket to an event, uh, like a major uh, music or sporting event. Are those necessary, do you think? I think actually travel insurance can be useful. Like those types of insurances will cover you in cases where like your trip has to be canceled. You know, check to see what's covered. But a lot of the time, like if you become ill and can't take your trip, or if you're injured, or if there's a death in the family, or if there's some sort of other issue. So like, you know, I recently went on a Viking River cruise up the Danube, and um, it's kind of expensive. <laughs> and so I went ahead and bought the trip insurance that came with this whole package deal, because I was like, well, for 200 bucks, I have this trip insurance, I have this peace of mind, if something happens, and I can't make this trip, which costs 5000 bucks. Being able to get the money back can help, right? So knowing that if something happened at the last minute and I couldn't make this trip, I wasn't going to lose the $5,000, I, you know? And so $200 to buy that peace of mind was worth it to me, if that makes sense. So you really kind of have to weigh. Um, if I'm buying a plane ticket and the plane ticket was like 300 bucks, then it's usually, you know, if it's like seven bucks to insure it and, and maybe get the 300 bucks back if something happens, then I'm good with it. But there are some instances where I look at it and I'm like, huh, well, you know, you know, like the event, right? It's like, it depends on the event. If you're, you know, just buying a ticket to go to like a $80 show, I mean, if you lose the 80 bucks, how are you going to feel? And is it worth the insurance and the peace of mind? Yeah, I think it's interesting to note, too, that some credit cards offer insurance automatically for purchases like that, travel insurance or event insurance. So it's good to know what your credit card policy is, because a lot of that is hidden and it's not well advertised sometimes that you might actually be covered before you go ahead and buy whatever supplemental insurance is being offered at the time of the purchase. Uh, You don't want to double cover yourself because that's just a waste of money. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, for sure. So now that you're, you know, figured out which insurance you have and and which insurance is unnecessary, like how can you figure out how much insurance you need? Well, I think you have to, a lot of this has to do with anticipation and thinking about the future and what could possibly happen. Of course, you might have some insight into what could happen in the future based on family history when it comes to health or you know your your own history dealing with uh you know if you, your own responsibility level when it comes to dealing with things you might have a good idea of how much insurance you need and of course when it comes to um you know certain types of life insurance or umbrella insurance which we didn't even go over you know your assets have a lot to say in how much you need as well so you should figure out exactly how much insurance and how much coverage you should have in in all of these types of insurance before you go forward yeah, for sure. And and make sure that uh, it kind of matches what you have. 
what you expect in the future. And, um, and even to a certain extent, you know, what, what you can afford. So what are some of the do nows that people should follow now that they've decided, okay, insurance isn't a total scam. How do I get started? Yeah, I think it comes down to writing things down so you can put that coverage amount down on paper. And of course, you might not know what some of those typical amounts are. So you'll have to do some research, look into different plans, different companies, and figure out what you should have and if it's required by law, how much you need to have as a minimum and uh, determine whether you need to go beyond those minimums based on your own activities, your own assets and how much money you have or your own behavior. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a, a really good point. You, you kind of need to take some time for some self-reflection and, and to kind of write this down. Uh, the other thing you can do is start documenting your belongings. Uh, take photos of the things that you have in your house that you might need to be replaced. So whether it's homeowner insurance or rental insurance, you should have a visual record of what you have. So go around and take pictures of things, you know, your bed, your computer, your TV, so that you can figure out, you know, how much these are going to cost and the replacement costs and you have that documented. You can also um, regularly take pictures of your car to show how it looks now so that if there's an insurance claim later, you know, you can compare the before and after. So now is a good time to just go take your phone, click, 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 then store the pictures somewhere in the cloud or on an, um, an outside drive or something like that so that you can access them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we have a listener question. I hate the idea of spending money on insurance. What if nothing goes wrong? How can I feel better about spending money on insurance? Yeah, so that's tough. And a lot of it is just buying peace of mind. So just remind yourself that, you know, even if nothing goes wrong, at least you're prepared if it does. And then another thing to do is, you know, what Harlan was talking about before is, you know, look at the minimum and buy the the minimum that you need and kind of look to kind of save money that way. So you can look at it in terms of a a shopping experience where you're like, well, I need insurance. It's something I have to buy. So now I'll look for the most inexpensive insurance that covers my needs in order to move forward. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us today on adulting.tv. If you have any questions, just like we read one from a listener today, you can go to adulting.tv slash ask, and we could do a podcast episode or some video or an article to address your question and hopefully answer it in a way that you find acceptable. And of course, join us on Facebook at the hashtag adulting group community where we can answer your questions and just chat about various things adulting. And also subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can go to adulting.tv slash iTunes to do that directly, or you can find other subscription options at adulting.tv, where you can also find fantastic articles, videos, and other episodes to keep you entertained and informed for the remainder of your adult life. So until next week, remember to act like a grown-up. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv. Adulting.